0: Good to see you guys. Uh, My name is Seth, for those of you who have no idea who I am. And uh, just like Jared was saying, me and my wife are the youth leaders in this place. So, I mean, if you have, yeah, well done, appreciate it. So if you have like junior high to high school that don't do anything on Wednesday nights, we would love to have them. Uh, We just hang out, teach the word. Yeah, it's a good time. But if you have your Bibles... We will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this He says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes You abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Holy Spirit, we come before you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would just flow through this place and you would speak to your people, Lord. Your people are here and they're present, God, and they want to hear from you. So Jesus, would you speak through me? Would you just let your will be done in this place, God? Do what only you can do, and that's change hearts. So we love you, Jesus. We praise things in your name. Amen. John Ortberg says this, anytime you see life flourishing, It is because it is receiving nourishment from outside of itself. So here's the question for us to ponder on this morning. What are we receiving our nourishment from? Because the reality for all of us is this, we are all receiving some sort of nourishment for our souls, whether it's intentional or not. I mean, whether we know it or not, we are all faced with certain things in our lives that have the ability to shape us and to form us into a specific type of person. Whether that be certain habits that we create for ourselves or entertainment choices that we let marinate in our minds or the constant scroll on social media or whatever the thing may be, the point is this, whatever we constantly give ourselves to, Whatever we allow into our lives to nourish us can and will form you into a specific type of person either for good or for worse. Tyler Staten is a pastor in Portland, Oregon, and he says this, "In spite of our best efforts and intentions, we will all wake up one day to discover that we have become a certain type of mother, a certain type of father, A certain type of spouse, a certain type of friend, a certain type of person. And it will not be our best intentions that choose for us who we become. It will be your rabbi. Or in other words, you will become what you follow. And we are all following something. See, we are all disciples of something. So the question isn't, am I being discipled? But the real question to ask yourself is this, who or what am I being discipled by? So this morning, can you name who or what that is discipling you in your own life? And what kind of person are you becoming? Because it's not going to be your best intentions that choose for you. It is going to be your rabbi what you are following Now you may or may not know this but Jesus was a rabbi And if you're not familiar with that term a rabbi simply means teacher Jesus was a teacher that went from went around from village to village and taught in their synagogues about the kingdom of God And when Jesus started his earthly ministry and if you've read any of the gospel letters in the Bible you might have noticed that his primary invitation to people has always been follow me. Now, if I could give you just a brief background into this history, these words, follow me, held so much more weight in Jesus' time than they probably do for us now. See, in the first century, when a rabbi would ask someone to follow them, it meant way more than just simply following them around. But the words, follow me, was an invitation to fully join your life with the rabbi's life. It meant to sit with him daily, to eat with him, to learn from him, to follow your rabbi meant that you would be with him 24 seven. And in the first century, this invitation to follow your rabbi was called discipleship, right? Jesus called 12 people to follow him and they were called the 12 disciples. And actually what's interesting is that scholars would argue that the best English word we have for this term, disciple, is apprentice. Because an apprentice is someone who is learning a trade from a master. And anyone who has ever apprenticed um, under someone, you know that you first have to sit with your master and talk with your master and learn the skills from your master. Follow your master, and ra- follow your master around and watch what he does. But then you eventually have to get your own hands dirty in doing what the master does. So your apprenticeship moves beyond just knowledge and you start to practice it yourself. For example, if you're, say you're apprenticing under like an electrician, like Ryan, and uh, what you would do is that you would follow Ryan around. You would watch him work. you would learn the skills from Ryan, but then, You eventually have to do it yourself. In order to fully learn the trade, it needs to move from knowledge to action. This is discipleship. This is what an apprentice is. And this is exactly what we would call discipleship to Jesus. I say this all the time to the youth kids, and they might be tired of it. I don't know. But the line goes like this. First and foremost, to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. And the aim of being with Jesus is then to become like Jesus. This is discipleship. The first step is to be with Jesus, and the aim of that discipleship to Jesus has always been to become like him, to be his apprentice, to sit with him, to learn from him but then to eventually get your own hands dirty and becoming like Jesus. This is discipleship. It's to become. Discipleship to Jesus has always been to take on his image. But I want you to note something. Please note that being formed in the image of Jesus does not happen overnight, but it's a process. And it could be a very long, long process. And we're going to see exactly how that process works. But first, this is the invitation to you. Come and follow me. This is where it starts. So if this is truly what discipleship under Jesus is. And if Jesus is still handing out this invitation to people to come and follow him, how do we participate in it? Where does this process of becoming more like Jesus start for you and for me? I believe it starts by what Jesus calls in John chapter 15, abiding. See, John 15 has been called the spiritual roadmap to flourishing because it's where Jesus teaches his disciples not only what it looks like to be his disciple, but how they are to flourish in their discipleship by what Jesus calls abiding. See, John uses this word abide 35 times in the gospel of John, and he uses the word abide 10 times in the first 10 verses of John chapter 15. And this word comes from the Greek word meno, and this word has a vast amount of meanings. Let me give you just a few. Abide means to remain, to dwell, to stay to be present, to abide. See, when Jesus is telling his disciples, abide in me, you could easily translate that into remain in me, to dwell with me, to be present with me. See, abiding addresses our posture towards Jesus. To abide means to posture ourselves so we can experience his forming presence. See, formation into Jesus starts with remaining in him, or what he calls here, abiding. So if you're asking the question, how can I flourish in my discipleship to Jesus? Abide in him. It's to remain with Jesus. This is the posture of a disciple. The posture of a follower of Jesus is to be in a posture of remaining in him, abiding in. Him. And we're going to see exactly how this abiding works. And to fully understand the importance of what Jesus calls abiding, we need to understand the source, who we are abiding in. So let's take a look at verse 1 of John chapter 15. Jesus uses some interesting imagery here to help us understand. And he says this in verse 1, "'I am the true vine.'" And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here it is, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now there's some imagery that Jesus uses here that probably doesn't strike us like it would strike, strike the Jews in the first century. Number one, for a Jew to hear these words from Jesus... I am the true vine, it would have immediately opened up their minds to what the Old Testament scriptures were pointing at because a vine was a frequent picture of God's people. A vine is used all throughout the Old Testament to describe the people of God, but the picture, the picture of God's people being a vine is always used in a negative way. For example, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21 says, God speaking, I had planted you like a choice vine and of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? See, this is God speaking to his people saying, my people are supposed to be a fruitful and flourishing vine, but because you have turned away from me, you have become corrupt. But you're a wild vine that is producing bad fruit. It's a wild vine. The people of God were to resemble a vine that was flourishing, and for a Jew to hear and for a Jew to hear vine terminology, they would immediately connect that to judgment and failure, because they were supposed to be the flourishing vine. They were supposed to be the ones that were bearing this fruit. The people of God were supposed to grow into a lush vine, they were supposed to flourish into everything God had for them. But if you're familiar with the story of the people of Israel, they very quickly failed at being that. But they grew into a wild vine, an unfruitful vine. Why? Because they were disobedient to Yahweh. And it was failure after failure after failure, and they became a worthless vine that produced no fruit at all because they turned their back on Yahweh. And here we have Jesus speaking to his followers saying, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus has taken this vine terminology that is connected to judgment and failure, and he's flipping it and saying, I am that true vine. Meaning, I am the one that is doing what you could not do. And I am being what you have not been able to be. I am the true vine the vine that you could not be. See, Jesus is sort of rescuing this image for for his followers, which I'm sure would have been so profound for them to hear. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's essentially saying, I am living the life that you could not live. The lush and fruitful vine that my people were supposed to be, I am that vine. But I have stepped in. I am the flourishing vine that bears much fruit. Jesus is that true vine. Secondly, vine imagery would have also been really common for his disciples as well, because grape vineyards were everywhere in ancient Israel. Not only did they have grape vineyards for food, obviously, but also for wine. See, wine was actually a pretty pretty valuable in those days because wine was a major trade product. It was traded all over the place for other goods and so on. And it was actually safer to drink sometimes. Like everyone had like some wine because who knows where that water came from. Like it was just a common drink and it was immersed in their culture. Uh, I spent a few years in in, uh, Marietta, California as I was going to Bible college. And the neighboring city to Marietta is Temecula, California. I don't know if you guys have ever been to those places. They're not the greatest, but... As you're driving through Temecula, you're going through the city, and you look out into the country, you can see vineyards for miles. I mean, they're everywhere. Temecula is known for its award-winning wineries or something. Like, it's a big deal over there. It's pretty cool because when you're driving through it during the right season, you just see these grape clusters, just big old grapes just filling the fields of Temecula. And if you go to one of these wineries, you can actually go on a tour through the vineyards. And it's pretty cool because they show you exactly how these grapes grow and what they look like and just like how the process works, how they make wine, what do they do with the grapes, what do the plants look like, just the whole process. And if you're not familiar with what a grape vineyard looks like or what a grapevine looks like, let me explain it to you. I wish I had a picture for you guys but I don't. I apologize. It would be easier to explain. But I want you to see this picture because Jesus is taking this profound, but also very common image of a grapevine, and he's drawing out a picture for his disciples. So let me explain it like this. I think they're working on something. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, he's talking, he's talking about the vertical part of the plant, the plant that comes up from the ground. So, so pretty much the trunk. I mean, Jesus could have said, I am the trunk, but it would have not been that cool. So Jesus says, I, I'm the vine. I'm the part that comes up. And then in our text, Jesus says that you are the branches, which we know what branches are. The branches come out and they sprout out of the vine, out of the trunk, and off of those branches comes the fruit. Like, it's a pretty simple process of how fruit is, comes to be with a, with a plant. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. And this is a common image that Jesus is drawing from that his followers would have understood. There we go. Kind of, yeah. You see this? Jesus is saying, I am the vine, which is the, it's the main part coming up. We are the branches, the branches that are sprouting out. And from those branches come fruit. I mean, this is, this is how it works. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am the vine. He is the vine that we could not be. And they are the branches that are sprouting off of Vine. See, Jesus is using this imagery to display how the disciples' relationship should function with him. And the picture would be clear and quite simple. He's saying, I am the vine that is full of life. And if you stay connected to me, you will flourish. It's like simple gardening, agricultural stuff. This is how it works. The branches need to be connected to the vine in order to bear much fruit. The picture would be clear for them. See, Jesus is also rescuing, rescuing this image for them. You were supposed to be the vine, but you can't, but I am. And if you stay connected to me, you will flourish. Do you see it? Do you see the picture that Jesus is drawing from? Jesus is claiming to be the ultimate life source. This is who he is. The fruitfulness in the disciples' lives depends on whether or not they are connected to that life source. This is how it works, right? Say you have like an apple tree and you cut off one of the branches to the apple tree and the branch is just laying there. That branch will no longer be able to bear fruit. Why? because it's not connected to the tree. There is no longer a life source for that branch. That branch will never be able to produce apples ever because it's not connected to the vine. And see, there's nothing that the branch can do to produce fruit on its own, it's dead. And there's nothing that you can do. Listen closely, there's nothing that you can do to produce a fruitful life from within yourself. If the branch is disconnected, there is no life. And Jesus seems to be saying, if you are disconnected from me, the the true life source, there there will be no fruit. You cannot produce a fruitful life from within yourself. It's not possible. We need to understand this. A fruitful life is found outside of yourself, not inside of yourself. A fruitful life is found outside of yourself, not inside of yourself. There's nothing you can do to produce any fruit on your own. And I think a lot of us try to produce a fruitful and flourishing lives from within ourselves, and it's leaving you exhausted. In fact, you're probably producing emptiness. We, we sit and we try, we think that we can find a flourishing life from within ourselves, and it's not working. It's leaving you exhausted. It's producing you nothing. Apart, apart from Him, there is no fruit, because it's impossible to, pr- to, to produce a fruitful and flourishing life on your own. And see, it's not about Trying really hard to produce a fruitful life for yourself. It's about letting the life source produce the fruit in you. Understand this. It's not really up to you to produce the fruit. It's up to God. Leave the fruit bearing up to God. What you need to do is stay connected. Or what Jesus says to remain in me, to abide in me. Because just like the branches are dependent on the vine for the proper nutrients, we are dependent on the, on the true vine to form in us a fruitful life. See, if you remain connected to the vine, fruit will be a byproduct of that. Bearing fruit is a result of abiding and not trying really, really hard. Jesus does not say that. Jesus does not say, hey, I want you to try really, really, really hard to produce fruit. No, he actually says the opposite. You can't do anything apart from me. If you want to find a fruitful and flourishing life, it needs to be found in Jesus. And the exciting thing is, is that God is faithful. God is faithful in producing fruit in your life. And actually, it's his desire to produce fruit in your life. Like, he wants to do it. His desire desire for you is to be a person full of fruitfulness. In fact, God is more committed to producing fruit in your life than you are. And honestly, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are following Jesus, he will do whatever it takes to produce fruit in your life. Even if he has to do some cutting away. Take a look at verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you're a gardener, you know that pruning is probably one of the most important processes in taking care of your plants. Like, if you're not familiar with it, the pruning process is where you cut away at the plant in order for it to produce more fruit. I'm I'm sure Krista knows all about this. This is how it works. So for example, if there's rotting branches or rotting leaves or whatever, you have to cut those for the sake of the whole plant growing the way that it's supposed to be. You can't just leave dead branches and rotten branches on the tree. Those things need to be cut off for the sake of, of the tree growing the way it's supposed to. Pruning is also done even if there isn't anything necessarily wrong with the plant, right? If the branches on your plant are growing wildly out of control and you don't cut the excess branches off, it's not going to grow correctly. Say you have like a rose bush and the branches are growing just out of control. That rose bush isn't going to be able to produce quality roses, but only little not-so-quality roses, because it's growing in on itself, it's getting in its way. That brand, that rose bush, cannot produce the proper roses. It's going to produce terrible roses. We have this little scraggly rose bush in our yard, and like I, I, don't know anything about pruning or plants. I didn't even know that was a thing. But Tegan was like, "We have a rose bush, but it's bearing literally nothing. It's, it's just the worst thing." But Tegan comes out here and she's like, no, this is what you have to do. You have to cut this thing down. Like you have to cut its branches away and then it's going to bear these roses. And I was like, okay, cool. Sure enough, that rose bush was like, thank you so much. I'm going to produce you the best roses ever. And our little scraggly rose bush became this beautiful thing. I had no idea pruning was even a thing but it works. This is how it goes. Pruning is one of the most important processes in gardening or whatever you want to call it. Now, Jesus is saying this, I, my father is the vine dresser. He prunes and he cuts away. Why? What's the point of cutting away? That it would bear more fruit. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, pruning is going to be necessary in your life. Why? For the sake of even more fruit. Now pruning never sounds like a good time. It never sounds like something that you want to sign up for. But it is necessary. Just like the plants, it's necessary to cut away the branches. For you, it is going to be necessary for God to cut away things in your life. Why? For the sake of producing more and more fruit for his glory. I see a few faces out here that have been through the pruning process. And they'll tell you that it wasn't the greatest time. They'll probably tell you that it was one of the hardest times in life. But they'll also tell you that it was necessary because their life is now on a trajectory of bearing even more Fruit, because they went through a pruning process. See, there's things in our lives that are just holding us back from bearing the fruit that God wants us to bear. Certain sins, certain habits, things that just get in the way that are rotting us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, pruning is going to be necessary in your life. It's not going to be the greatest thing, but it's going to be the necessary thing for you to produce a life that he's called you to live. There's people that are going through some hard stuff because of the things in their lives. But I've seen the most joy. In fact, God is closer to those people that are being pruned. I've seen the most joy in people when they're going through the hardest time in life, but they know that God is with them and they know that the pruning is necessary. Because if there is no pruning, there is no bearing the fruit that you need to bear. This is the pruning process. It's one of the most important processes. Really, pruning is the result of the goodness and faithfulness of God in your life. Pruning speaks of the love that God has for you. It's necessary. It's gonna be necessary. God wants you to be this flourishing vine and the way that you have to do that is to go through the pruning process. See, there's things in our lives that are holding us back, but God is faithful. He is faithful to not let you remain the same. Sometimes he prunes, sometimes he cuts, but only for your good, for the sake of even more fruitfulness and flourishing, in your life see the point is this if we stay connected to the vine to jesus we will bear fruit and bearing even more fruit will result in pruning this is the life of a disciple to bear fruit and at this point you're probably saying what is fruit you've been talking about this fruit stuff for a while what even is that how does this how does this thing work let me tell you what it's not first The fruit that Jesus is talking about is not a life of wealth. It's not a life of possessions. It's not a life free from hardships. But it's the fruit of formation to Jesus. This is what he's producing in you. He's not producing in you a a stress-free life at all. He's producing his image in you. Galatians 5.22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, this is the type of fruit that Jesus is talking about. The fruit that Jesus wants to produce in us is the fruit of His Spirit. Remember what I said earlier. The aim of discipleship to Jesus is to become like Jesus. And the way we become like Jesus is to remain in Him. Because the more we remain in Him, the more we will become like Him. Because it is going to be His fruit that He's producing in us. The more we abide, the more we stay connected to Him, He will produce in us His fruit. This is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. He will produce in you a love, a joy, a peace, a kindness, and so on. This is the fruit that he's talking about. It's looking more like Jesus. It's not success. It's not possessions. It's not health and wealth. It's this fruit of the Spirit of God. This is what, what he wants to produce in you. Maybe take some inventory in your own life and ask yourself, is this the type of fruit I've been producing? Is this the fruit that, I, that I'm seeing in my own life? Is my life producing a type of fruit that is lining up with the image of Jesus, with the, with the fruit of the Spirit? If it is, awesome. If it's not, maybe you need to change some things around in your life because fruitfulness does seem to be an indicator if you are really abiding in Jesus or not. Verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, to Jesus, fruit bearing seems to be a strong indication that you are truly abiding in him. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. Not only do they wither, but they are thrown into the fire and burned. Now, this is strong language towards the person who does not abide in the vine. And I think for this reason, because branches that do not bear fruit are dead branches. There's no life to them. Dead branches that have no life are only good to be burned. I mean, the. A dead branch cannot produce life anymore. It can't produce fruit anymore. What do you do with a dead branch? You rake them up and you you burn them. Jesus is using strong language for this. Jesus says they're gathered up into the fire and they're burned. Now, there are many, many interpretations with this verse. And I think we need to be careful because a lot of people like to create like a doctrine or a theology on allegory. For example, some people believe that this is speaking of Christians who lost their salvation. That's one of you. Or some people believe that this is speaking of fake Christians who profess with their mouth, but they aren't really Christians. Um, there are many debates and they go on and on and on what Jesus is talking about. But I think the point is this, People that abide in him are bearing fruit, correct? People that abide in him are bearing fruit and will live fruitful and flourishing lives. But people that are not abiding in him and that are not bearing any fruit are going to experience the complete opposite life. See, there's people that experience deep intimacy with Jesus because they are abiding in him and there are other people who don't experience intimacy at all because rather than choosing a life with God, they choose a life without God. And we know this, the branches that choose a life without God are those being burned. What does burn, being burned mean? I mean, I don't want to put like an absolute on something, but we do know that it's the person that's not abiding. It's the person that isn't abiding in the vine, the person that isn't producing any fruit, a person that's choosing a life outside of God. And see, constantly, constantly choosing a life apart from Jesus will result in a dead branch that's good for nothing, a branch that will be piled up, tossed to the side, and burned. So I think we need to realize that there are some real consequences of constantly being in disobedience to Jesus and not repenting from sin and choosing to go your own way. And the consequences may be that God will just give you up to that life. That very well could just be a consequence. You are a branch that is bearing no fruit. And if this is the life that you want to choose, here it is. But we do know that that life isn't the result of being burned, which isn't good. Being burned is never good. But this is what Jesus is saying: those who are not abiding in, in me are taken away; they are cut away. See, I had this thought: we're told to count the cost. Bef- we're told to count the cost before we follow Jesus but we're rarely told to count the cost of not following Jesus. And it, it costs a lot. It costs a lot to follow Jesus, but the cost may be even greater for those who aren't following Jesus. Maybe this is the cost that we need to count or whatever. Following, not following Jesus is going to result in a life that is being burned, tossed to the side. Jesus wants you to abide in him. This is where life is found. And Jesus seems to say that the evidence of being his disciple is that there is fruit. This is the evidence of if you're really following Jesus or if you're really abiding in Jesus, there will be fruit in your life. Verse 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, if you only take one thing away from this, please take this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And I hope you see that. I hope you see throughout all of this, that as the Father has poured out his love on us, on his son Jesus, Jesus is now pouring out his love on us. So if you're taking this whole thing and you're like, man, I need to be bearing fruit. I'm not bearing fruit. I don't know if I'm a real disciple of Jesus. I think you're going too far. I think you need to start building your life on the love of God. Jesus is now saying, abide in my love. Remain in my love. I think some of us need to, to, re, to literally remain in his love this morning. Maybe his love for you hasn't become like a real thing to you yet. Jesus is saying, keep remaining in me. Keep abiding in me. Because God will be faithful in showing his love to you. This is what he does. This is Jesus, the true vine that we follow, the true vine that has life. He will be faithful in pouring out his love on you. All you need to do is remain in him. Abide in his love. You are loved by Jesus. And this is the foundation that you need to build your life on. And you build that foundation by being being with Jesus. Practical things like quiet time in prayer or meditation on the scriptures, seeking him all throughout your days, abide in my love. And the result of abiding in his love is this, we will keep his commandments. What are his commandments? Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. What does he mean? Well, Jesus says this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's love. Love is the commandment, but not just any type of love. Love according to Jesus. And love according to Jesus looks, like some, looks something like this, a sacrificial love, a love that considers others, a love that honors others. See, this is our aim. The aim of our discipleship to Jesus is to become like Jesus and to be like Jesus is to be a person of love. This is the way we measure our fruitfulness by the way we love each other. Jesus says the world is going to know us by our love. This is how we measure the fruitfulness in our lives. Do we love one another, but not just any kind of love? Love according to Jesus, a pure love, a sacrificial love. This can be a way that we measure our fruitfulness. We measure it by love. See, love is the measure of our fruitfulness. Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, puts it this way. Love is the measure of our spiritual maturity. This is how we measure our fruitfulness, We don't measure it by anything else. We don't measure it by how many times we go to church. We don't measure our relationship with Jesus to how many small groups we go to or whatever the thing may be. We measure it by the way we love. So are you a loving person? Has the love of God swept into your soul and are you pouring that out onto others? Because this is his fruit, to be a person of love. To end, I want to ask you this question again. What are we receiving our nourishment from? Because whether it's intentional or not, we are all receiving some sort of nourishment for our souls. And we are all becoming a certain someone, and it's not going to be your best intentions that choose for you. It will be your rabbi. Jesus says, come and follow me and bear much fruit. This is the invitation. Come and follow me.